Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Hello, hello, and welcome to Maximize Your Influence. This is Kurt Mortensen, and yes, that's Steve Olson still on sabbatical. This is episode 174, as we give you the tools to be more persuasive, to understand other people, to get other people to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. That's the key. If we get you a new tool a week, it'll make a huge difference in your success. So today we're going to talk about the geeky article, we're doing a listener question, and of course the blunder of the week as we take a deep dive to really understanding what's going on in the world of persuasion and influence, because it's changed, it's changed dramatically. You have to remember that what worked 20 years ago, 10 years ago, even 5 years ago is no longer working. Times have changed, people have changed, mindset have changed, psyche has changed. Some of the big ones, of course, are introverts are now more persuasive than extroverts because extroverts are salesy. They create more resistance versus introverts are consultants. They listen and ask more questions. We are more skeptical and less trustworthy than ever before. That changes how we persuade. 20 years ago, I trust you. Give me a reason not to. Now it's, I don't trust you. Give me a reason to trust you. And another big factor is the internet, access to information, in the past, you just believe the person trying to sell you. Believe the person trying to sell you a car. Now we've got so much information, which some is true and some is not, can make a difference in your ability to persuade and how you persuade as you take a focus on what you are doing. So you can always access the podcast at iTunes at Maximize Your Influence. Instagram is Max Influence. And of course, you go to Maximize Your Influence to see the podcast, to access my books and other products, and to stay in touch. So let's get into the geeky article. And of course, Steve doesn't know, here's our new sound for the article. The term is going to be the Dunning-Kruger effect. You've been hearing that in the media. If you've been listening, probably shouldn't be listening because... Everything is so skewed out there on both sides. You have to be careful what you listen to or listen to both sides and figure out what is true. Basically, the concept here is we're unskilled and we're unaware of it. We have these difficulties in recognizing our own incompetence, which leads to inflated self-assessments. So Justin Kruger and David Dunning, they're from Cornell University. This is the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. When we don't have a lot of competence, our confidence actually goes up. But the more we learn, our confidence goes down until we start becoming an expert, then our confidence goes up. And they say it's not a pathological condition, it's a human condition. You just think you know. You think you know more than you actually know. Because a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Because that little knowledge, that little thing you heard, that little perception gives you more confidence than you actually should have. Especially if you're dealing with an expert in that field and you think, or you have the perception that you're an expert in that field. For example... In the study, they talked about in 1995, this guy named MacArthur Wheeler, he walked into two Pittsburgh banks and robbed them in broad daylight. Okay, There was no disguise, and they put his picture on the news, and he was arrested later that night. <laughs> and the police were just scratching their head. They showed him the surveillance tapes, and he said, well, but I wore the juice. <laughs> and they're like, what? So he was under the pressure, and he had heard, he had read, I don't know, 
that if you rubbed your face with lemon juice, you were invisible to the camera. <laughs> so you're like, all right, Kurt, what does that mean? Well, first of all, a lot of people just say this term to feel smart, to bring down other people. But it is true. There's a lot of truth to this, especially when you're trying to persuade other people. In fact, they go on to say that in many cases, incompetence does not leave people disoriented, perplexed, or cautious. Instead, the incompetent people are often blessed with an inappropriate confidence, buoyed by something that feels to them like knowledge. And it's not really knowledge. We get something they heard, something they read on the internet. We see this with late night talk show hosts who walk the streets, who ask these questions and people are making up things and they think they're smart and they're not even close. That's the same type of thing. So a couple studies around this, Pauline Kim, she's a professor at Washington University Law, and she found that people take to make inferences about the law based on what they know or basically informal social norms. And then a lot of times this leads to a misunderstanding of what their rights really are, what they can and cannot do, what the police can and cannot do. And so she took off to Buffalo, New York and found 300 residents and gave them these strange workplace scenarios. One of them was an employee is fired for reporting that a co-worker had been stealing from the company. And she found that 80 to 90% of Buffalonians, I guess that'll be the word of the day too, Buffalonians incorrectly identified each of these distasteful scenarios as illegal. So they didn't know. They thought they knew. They thought they heard. They thought they were on track, but they had no clue because they heard something or there was a social norm or someone had talked about it. Those type of things people feel more confident than they actually are. And of course, you know, doctors have a huge challenge with this. Especially with elderly patients, they won't take the doctor's advice. They heard something different. They read something in National Enquirer or their neighbor said something. And so they feel competent when they're not even close to being competent. And we all suffer from this. It's just not a few people out there. This is something that we all have to deal with personally and as persuaders. So a couple things to think about. When someone seems very confident, it doesn't mean they're competent. They might think they are, and so you need to kind of dig a little deeper and find out, are they truly competent with what they're saying? Are they truly an expert? Now, for you as a persuader, you might be persuading somebody who thinks they know everything about what you're doing. They've done their research. They spent the last 10 minutes Googling you and your company and your product, your service, your industry, and so they know. And, of course, you know they don't know what they're talking about, but if you say that, it's going to slam the doors of persuasion. So you need to make sure through questions, through interrogation, you show them they don't know what they think they know in a subtle way. Ask them some questions they have to think about or they don't know the answers to or didn't come up with their Google search. That makes a huge difference. And this is one of those things that we all have to deal with, even personally. And so the last thing, even you, you might think you know a lot more than you actually do. We see this in persuasion, influence, and people skills all the time where people rate themselves much higher than they actually are. So if I'm monitoring a persuasive situation, we have the persuader and a variety of prospects, and they go back and forth, and I do my interview afterwards to find out what's really happening. 90% of the time, the persuader will say, yeah, they trusted me. Yep, there was trust. 10% out of the prospect, not even close. There's a disconnect there because the persuaders think they're automatically trustworthy. It's something they have to earn, something they don't get. So that is our geeky article of the day. So when you hear that word... The Dunning-Kruger effect, it's just basically, basically people very confident thinking they're more competent than they actually are and they really don't know. So we've got some listener email, and you can always send that anytime to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. And this one is a Kurt. Thanks for the show and the information. It's made me a much better persuader. But I have one big question. Please help me. How do you get past the gatekeeper? 
sure nobody has that issue. The gatekeeper. So what is the gatekeeper? Well, that's the person that's trying to stop you to get to the person that you need to talk to to persuade them. And this can be one of the biggest obstacles to sales and prospecting and persuasion is getting to the right person. So is that the secretary, receptionist, a personal assistant, any of those people that are answering the phone that stop you to get to the person that you need to talk to? And there's some challenges here, right? Getting to the right person. Sometimes you get to the wrong person. Sometimes you're wasting your time. Sometimes they don't let you through. And you have to realize they're doing their job. They have their marching orders. They don't want to get in trouble. You got to put yourself in their shoes. And you're not there to start a war, belittle people, or call names. And they think they can muscle their way through. And when I talk to gatekeepers, some of the major blunders, some things that will guarantee you'll never get through. So those blunders are lying. Oh, yeah, they're expecting my call. When people do that to me, I guarantee and I talk to them. Or we've talked before, they know who I am. How do you start a relationship on a lie? Remember, these gatekeepers have heard it all before. So you need to be a little bit different. Not rude and sarcastic, but you really have to work with them. And I want to give you a few tools to be able to do that. The first thing is to realize, okay, what type of screener is this? Some they call the detective. They're asking questions. They're nice. They're engaging small talk. Is this really important? Something I can get through? Then there's a guard dog. They don't care. No one gets through until they recognize you unless you're on the list. I mean, they're mean and to the point. They're not going to fall for any flattery or small talk. So you kind of have to figure out who you're talking to so you can adjust your persuasive presentation from there to get through the gatekeeper. So let's talk about some gatekeeper strategies here and some do's and some don'ts. The first one, and this happened to me, this is a local guy. I call this guy the cookie man. The concept here is reciprocity. It's harder to reject you in person. Now, that might not be possible with what you're doing, but if you're dealing with local people, there's local people you want to work with, this can be a powerful thing. Just to drop by. Again, you're harder to reject in person when they can see your eyes, when you're talking to them, when you're connecting with them. So I'm sitting in my office. This guy comes in, and he wants to sell us paper products. And we already had a contract. It's not something we really needed. It was office depot-type stuff, and he... Really wanted our business. But, you know, we're under contract. Don't, no thanks. And appreciate you coming in. I, again, I appreciate people that are tenacious enough to walk in. Some people don't, but I do. I'm in the world of persuasion, right? And he says, would you mind to be upset if I left a dozen hot, warm chocolate chip cookies? <laughs> like, duh, late afternoon. Warm cookies. Hello. And it was nice. I don't remember his name. We called him the cookie man. He'd come by every couple of months, leave some cookies, and chit-chat a little bit. We're under contract. But you know what? When the contract came up and we were looking around, we thought of the cookie man, and he got some business from us. Just a little thing. Didn't happen instantly. Something to think about when you just drop by. A, face-to-face is harder to reject than over the phone. Harder for you to do to get the courage. But hey, that's something you should be doing and a little reciprocity. Other thing to think about, too, is voicemail. Because sometimes the gatekeeper is just going to pass you right to voicemail. You don't even get to talk to the person. It's not even going to ring on their phone. And so that can be good or bad. But a couple things here. So realize the big complaints on your voicemail is that you're going too long. You didn't get the number. You only mentioned it once. It sounds like you've left the message a hundred times. Hello? This is the first time they heard your voice. You don't want it to sound like you've done it a hundred times. I know you have. You should learn to customize your voicemail to every person that you talk to. Well, you're like, well, how do I customize it? You could peg their personality, a little bit of their personality from their voicemail. Hey, it's Bob, you know the drill. Hey, I'd get right to the point. Or if you hear, it's Sally, and there's music in the background, leave your name and number, your call's important to me, I'll call you within 24 hours. That's a different type of voicemail. Give them a reason to call you back. Give them a reason to remember you. 
Don't vomit all the features. Find a few benefits. Use social validation of other people you talk to or using your product. You've only got a few seconds. You've got to use that time wisely. If I were leaving a voicemail about persuasion and influence, I'd say, hey, Mr. Brewster, this is Kurt Martinson, author of the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Hey, I help CEOs who are frustrated by low sales and high turnover. I have a simple system to increase sales 30% in 60 days. Give me a call. Right? Drop me a line. Send me an email. Whatever it is. Simple to the point. And, of course, I'd customize it depending on their personality and adjust some things around. But voicemail is one you really need to take a look at. Because if you do it right, you're going to get a lot more return phone calls. The next strategy is find a different gate. What does that mean? Change your timing. Keep track of when you call. If you're always calling in the morning, try the afternoon, try the evening. Change your method. Very successful people tend to get there very early, stay late. Try to call before the gatekeeper gets there. And it's going to go right to them. Call at 6 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning or later in the night. And a lot of times you might find them there. Because if you are a manager or a CEO, you realize real fast that you don't get anything done when people are there. You're putting out fires and working with people that the only time you get things done is before people get there or after they leave. So change your timing a little bit. Or maybe you change your method. Skype, instant messaging, email, text if you can. Maybe it's a physical letter. Maybe you drop by. Any of those things. Switch it up. Change it up. And don't do one and done. Studies show six, seven, eight, nine times. The more you can do that, as long as you know there's a benefit and an interest and you don't cross the line to being a pain in the butt, that makes a huge difference. The next one's what I call law of connectivity. That's one of the 12 laws of persuasion and maximum influences. Learn to connect, learn to bond, learn to be a nice person, especially if they're nice first. Find the common ground, treat them with respect, use your people skills, get to know them, get to know their name. That makes a big difference. Especially if you call back next time and you use their name and they remember you and they remember that you're nice. doesn't guarantee, but it increases the chances that you're going to get through. The challenge is you're dying for dollars. Go, go, go. You don't have time to be nice. You don't feel like being nice. But if you want to get through, you've got to learn to connect. Especially with the ones that aren't the guard dog. That are people that don't want to be bullied and the relationship is critical. You'd be surprised how often this works. Another technique I call beg for mercy. Right? This is appealing to their esteem, asking for help. <laughs> so after repeated attempts, you've tried and tried, appeal to their esteem. Say, <laughs> can you help me? And I mean, this is putting all your cards on the table. You know, I give up. You're the best screeners I've ever talked to. You're the best gatekeeper I've ever talked to. I've left seven messages. And I know that Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so want this information. They request it. They need my services. So-and-so said I need to contact them. How can I get through? How can I solve this challenge? Right? Get appeal to them. I need your help. If they're that type of personality, they're going to help you out. You say, hey, hey, Ann, if you were me and you wanted to speak to Mr. Franklin, how would you go about doing that? Or, hey, you know, Ann, I apologize. I know I'm driving you crazy. I don't want to waste your time. How does Larry decide who he talks to? Put it out there. Build their esteem. Please help me. <laughs> please. And I've monitored recordings before where salespeople say, please, please. You know, they beg and... You'd be surprised how often it works. And the goal here is really be able to peg which technique to work at what time with which person. Not just one tool and use it on everybody, but the more you can adapt and instinctively use the right tool, that's what makes a difference to get to the gatekeeper. Other things you could do is maybe create some type of urgency where you're going to a meeting for 10 minutes or you're only going to be there for another hour. Could put you on the top of the list, get them to remember you more. Or an odd request, maybe something they know the answer to or something no one's ever asked them before. 
That makes you a little more memorable. Might put you at the top of the list. You can mention your previous conversation or someone else that you've talked to there or someone who's recommend that you talk to the person you're trying to reach can put you on the top of the list. These are just various tools that make a huge difference. And so what I want you to do, let's talk about some application here, is write a variety of scripts depending on personality. Test, adjust, and test different techniques. Think, are they the guard dog? Are they the detective type of screeners? Get in, get a feel for it, change it up. Don't be the bully. Make a huge difference, and this will make a big difference in your ability to get through the gatekeeper. Nothing's ever 100%, but the more you adapt, the more you learn, the more you understand the personality, the more you use these things, it becomes part of you instinctively to be able to use the right things. It might double, triple, quadruple, maybe even 10 times the amount of gatekeepers you can get past to get to the right person. This works. These techniques are proven to work. And what you've been waiting for, the blunder. Homer, go. Don't, don't, don't. For those that are new to the podcast, we always do the Homer sound for the persuasion blunder. And this goes out not to just one company, but a variety of companies that are so close to their product or service that they just come out with the lamest things. They're so close to the name of their company or they think that everybody should buy their product no matter what. They focus on the logic and not the emotion. That is the blunder. And a lot of big companies have done this, where it's all logical and it makes perfect sense to everybody working there, but when they launch it into the market, it fails. And some studies shows that up to 80% of new products fail. So let me just give you a couple fun examples. Ben Gay, you know that warm stuff you rub on your sore muscles, they came out with aspirin, and the concept of chewing on Ben Gay just did not work out for people. That was a complete failure. Or Harley Davidson, you know, the motorcycles came out with perfume and cologne. It just didn't seem quite right. Or there's Bic. They do the razors. They came out with underwear. Okay. <laughs> Frito-Lay. You know the potato chips and the tortilla chips. They came out with lemonade. It didn't sit right and failed miserably. And of course Coke and Pepsi have came out with clear colas and clear colas just doesn't seem right. They also failed miserably. And this one, I don't know who thought of this one. Hopefully someone got fired. But Colgate they do the toothpaste, they decided to come out with food products, kitchen entries, frozen dinners, that type of things, with Colgate right at the front. They didn't even change the look of Colgate. It looked just like the toothpaste, and toothpaste-flavored food doesn't sound right. Even if it didn't taste like that, it just doesn't feel right. Those are subconscious triggers that we've talked about that really trigger persuasion, or what we call anti-suasion. Clairol came out with shampoo that had yogurt in it. Hmm. Now, that might be good for your hair. I don't know. I'm not a hair scientist, but putting yogurt in your hair just doesn't feel right. That's something you're supposed to eat, not put in your hair. Lifesavers came out with flavored sodas, like pineapple, just like the Lifesavers. Again, didn't feel right with people. They did not purchase it, and it failed miserably. There's Cosmopolitan, the big magazine. I mean, it's huge, huge magazine. They came out with yogurt. Okay, yogurt magazine, that wasn't successful. And we all make this mistake. It's not just these big guys where we're so consumed about our product, our service, our idea, it makes perfect sense to us, why don't we do it? But we're there every day, we're consumed with it, and when you launch it into the market, the subconscious triggers, the feelings, the smells, the emotional attachment or detachment or just doesn't feel right, we don't think about, and that would be the blunder that we all make, but even the big boys make. So don't feel bad if you've made that blunder, because we've all made it, I've made it, and it is something that you can easily fix. Okay, so thanks for listening. That is our podcast for today. Remember to 
InfluenceUniversity.com. That's where you go to get all the back issues of the podcast. You can subscribe to our 10-week persuasion program. That's part of our free membership. We have other advanced memberships. We have a 52-week advanced mastery persuasion program for pennies on the dollars. Check it out at InfluenceUniversity.com and check out your different options. Go out there, persuade with power, get past the gatekeeper, and make the world a better place. 